Tim Blankenship here with Divorce661.com, and we're here with Patty Handy, who is a financial coach, and uh, prior to that, a financial planner and all kinds of different financial things, including mortgage lending. Uh, we're going to be doing this as a, a regular uh, interview, talking about uh, things uh, you need to know. Patty focuses on, and correct me if I'm wrong, Patty, divorced, widowed, and single women. Yes. Um, which goes really hand in hand. So it, it, I thought it would be good that we get together. We both did to talk about things. You can talk about things that I don't know about that I know my uh, potential possible clients may come across and need. Um, and I think I have some things to share for yours as well. Today, we're going to be talking about part of what uh, Patty has to offer as far as her coaching program. Um, we're going to be talking about today three core elements to achieve financial peace of mind. We're going to talk about how to improve your score. And I put after divorce, I guess that's not necessarily the case, but I'm sure we could talk about that and why credit score is important. So Patty, um, as part of your program, one of the first messages that goes out uh, with your coaching program is you, you want to talk about three core elements to achieve financial peace. And you talked about three core elements, commitment, clarity, and confidence. And I thought maybe we could just start there and talk about why was that the first thing you came out the gate with with your program um, to advise people what they need to do in order to be successful? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Tim. So Obviously, after a divorce, uh, things are chaotic emotionally and and uh, sometimes physically, mentally, emotionally, and and financially, of course. Being um, righted, if you will, you know, getting getting back upright. Uh, there is a commitment that you've got to give to yourself um, and to your. If there's if there's kids involved, um, you've got to have clarity and like what that looks like, and then the confidence to to move forward. So in commitment, I mean in terms of um, investing in yourself to learn more, taking the time to um, reach out to those who can help you, a mentor, a guide. Um, clarity, you need to understand your numbers where they're at right now. Um, especially after divorce, you want to have a really good understanding of where you stand with in terms of assets, in terms of debt, um, just really understand those, those numbers, what type of monthly cash flow do you need to continue to pay, you know, the house payments or the rent or whatever it is you've got dealing with. Um, and then the confidence, you know, that kind of comes with the commitment to learning. Um, and that is just really, again, um, taking the time asking for referrals of people that you know that have worked with, you know, whether it's a financial advisor or a financial coach or an attorney, a CPA, whatever it is that you, you need, um, get your team behind you and, um, you know, make very careful decisions based on, you know, having that foundation in place. Okay. Let's drill down on, on some of these. So the number one was commitment. And I'm looking at um, some of the information you send out. It says, this may sound too direct, but 90% of folks simply either don't take action or quit too easily along the way at the first sign of friction. So in your background in financial planning and, and financial coaching, what are you, are you seeing clients want to give up or are you seeing them just not put in the time necessary? Hence the commitment to work on their their financial piece, if you will, or you get their financial affairs in order. What what are you seeing there? Well, it really comes uh, into play more uh, very, you know, recent after a divorce when there's just so much going on in their world and there's so much chaos in the world. There's a lot of um, just 
trauma and grief and emotional things that they're dealing with, that the last thing they're really focused on, or maybe not the last, but you know, not not forefront is is the financial piece. They are trying to just um, deal with the sadness and the you know if they're dealing with raising the kids and all of that piece. So sometimes the financial uh, side of it gets you know tossed to the side for a mm short period of time because obviously the financial the financial piece cannot be tossed to the side for very long right. uh, without it being uh, you know a unfortunate situation so they just become divorced or widowed and probably while it is probably one of the most important things they need to deal with finances and so forth it's just one more thing that they wish they could put aside and not deal with i imagine yeah, yeah, it's it's really and one of the first things that I have in my program is is self-care, um really getting yourself um in a place where you can make good decisions. You know, if you are not in a good place, you can't make good financial decisions. And one of the worst things that you can do is jump into something immediately um not being in a good place emotionally and doing something that will cost you money down the road or doing something that is um you know can be just a very expensive situation. So, um, yeah, taking care of yourself, getting yourself, um, surrounded by people who can support you and help you and guide you. And then, um, start to decide, you know, what makes the most sense from a financial perspective, whether it means, you know, where to invest your money, where to, um, you know, allocate assets, how to diversify your assets, who to trust. If you decide to go with a financial advisor, um, again, you want to have a team. So, the attorneys, the CPAs, the advisors, have them all part of the table that you're dealing with. Yeah. So I would say like with my clients who are, the majority are amicable and they come up with an, a financial agreement of how they're going to buy their assets and, and debts. Once the divorce is done, they now essentially maybe husband, maybe wife handle the finances and investments and selected maybe where their, their money is going and banking. We even have clients where it's, Still, even though it's a little bit old school, where one spouse totally is in control of the finances and the other spouse has no idea, um, mm -hmm. you know, what is even going on. Oh, and or we have um, clients having and uh, operating completely different financial lives where they don't intermingle their their incomes at all or are aware of what debts are of the other spouse and so forth. So different, you know, different uh, things people are doing. But, yeah, once they get through that divorce, they're now on their on their own. And I was just looking at your next statement. Number two was clarity. And, you know, what, what stands out to me is it says, you know, people will start, um, you know, Googling and researching and trying to figure out maybe they're trying to learn investments or financial planning and buying courses, you know, reading every blog post. I guess that's why it's important to have a coach in your corner where you can kind of keep them in alignment or how would you explain that? Just keep them on a path as opposed to bouncing all over the place with different ideas because there are different ideas on there out there as far as how people should handle their finances, especially, you know, post-divorce. Yes. Uh, you know, those who just go to, you know, Google and online and YouTube and whatnot, there's so much information and there's so much overwhelm and there's information that is incorrect out there. There's information that is contradictory of each other. And you sort of look at the situation and go, I don't even know who to trust. I don't know who to believe. I don't, you know, this is just too much. And then you don't do anything. And then it's the paralysis by analysis. And you just, it's like, I, I, I give up. And I, I do see, see that as well. So, yeah, I mean, online, there's certainly a vast amount of wonderful information out there. It's about sorting through it. And if you can shortcut that by working with a financial coach or a financial advisor um, and just, 
filter all that junk out and get right to the root of the issue. It certainly shortcuts your, your, your healing, um, at least from a financial perspective, it shortcuts the, um, you know, and, and probably less expensive. Um, but it, it shortcuts that, that, uh, from A to A to B, if you will, um, of getting to the other side of this financial, you know, situation that you're in. Gotcha. That makes sense. And number three, you have confidence. Are you seeing people coming? I mean, I guess that makes sense if I think about it. People coming out of divorce, they didn't handle the finances, suddenly widowed, um, not having either the financial confidence or literacy, which is different, obviously. But what yeah. what are you seeing even in your financial planning times before becoming a, a financial coach to like, what are you seeing out there? What are people dealing with? Well, you know, it's funny you said that because that was one of the reasons why I decided to pivot into financial coaching is that I had so many conversations and it was primarily with ladies who were uh, divorced um, or had lost their spouse unexpectedly and um, they did not manage the money. The husbands managed the money and uh, for no other reason that it was just, you know, he, he knew what he was doing and he just did it. And it was like, that's just the way it was. The wife didn't feel like she needed to learn. And even if you're happily married, I'm going to side note here for a moment. If you're happily married and everything is, is, is wonderful, I still encourage you to work on the monies together. You both should know where the funds are. Um, I mean, if God forbid, the, you know, the, the, the wife does the, the investing in the money and something happens to her, he needs to know where to find statements and he needs to know where his, you know, all the investments are. Uh, he needs to know what debts are outstanding. He needs, I mean, all, all of that. You both need to know the full financial picture and make those decisions together as to, okay, where should we, you know, be invested? Do we have enough in safe assets? Is our, is our, is our you know, credit uh, on, on solid ground? Are we um, paying down our debts aggressively if there are debts? Does it make sense to, you know, do this or that? And those decisions have to be made together. And that's something I always encourage, you know, having a, a quarterly money date, going out for dinner and not spending the entire night talking about your money because that's no fun. But, you know, at least spend a half an hour just talking about things and getting on the same page. And that way, if God forbid something would happen, you wouldn't be completely blindsided by where things are at. But in answer to your first question about the the, the the ladies that, yes, typically when they, uh, you know, either would come in or, you know, current clients, um, there is a lot of um, embarrassment, overwhelm. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of uh, frustration. And there is that lack of confidence and not to, to fault anybody. You know, it typically wasn't taught in schools and typically not taught at home. So where were they supposed to, you know, to learn this? So, um, yes, I'm all about the education piece. I'm all about the financial literacy piece. I want to bring that confidence so that if they decide to hire a financial planner, they do have the, the right questions to ask. And if someone talks about a particular product, they can say, you know what, that's not for me or tell me more or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, that they have that knowledge that they can walk in more confidently into that conversation. Why do you think that comes out as embarrassment or I forget what other word you used? Um, shame, shame. Yeah. Shame. You know, like why, why is it manifest as that? That's a great question, uh, Tim. It's, it's, I, I think it's part of the female makeup um, I, I remember hearing a, uh, a gentleman speak one time and he said that men look at investing as a challenge and women look at investing as a threat. And it's just a very interesting concept. Um, and it's just years of having conversations with ladies. I, I hear this over and over. Um, they just don't like 
being in that vulnerable position where I think with, with, with men and, and somebody might want to hurt me for this, but <laughs> they're typically, I mean, not typically, I shouldn't say that word, but um, even if they don't understand the, the, you know, products or investing or whatnot, they may not show that they don't know that. They may not show the vulnerability place. I'm going, you know what? I don't understand this. This is really embarrassing. I don't get this. I don't know what, you know, what dollar cost averaging is. What does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. and, and a woman's like, oh my God, I must be, you know, why don't I know this? I should know this. And they take, you know, take it very personally. And it's not anything other than, you know, it's like, it's like someone calling me um, whatever, because I don't speak Italian. It's like, I don't speak Italian because I don't speak Italian. I, you know, something yeah. I'm not, I don't consider myself, you know, lacking in intelligence because I don't speak Italian. I just never learned it. So um, it's sort of the same thing. If 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 you don't know this education of the financial side of things, it's no fault to anybody's, but it's you know, it's it's uh, you know, great opportunity to start. Sure. I wonder if that is just a a a gender or genetic difference in how the mind works between men and women, because when you said that, you know, a challenge versus, um, you know, yeah, there was, it reminded me that, um, that there was a a quote or not a quote, but something I had read that said that, and this was talking about employment. So a little bit off topic, but that men will see a um, job opportunity and see what is required of them and maybe not have any of the skills or maybe very few and look at that as a challenge. Whereas a woman may, and please correct me if I'm wrong, may trying to look at the job uh, requirements and try and align all of their um, skills with that job. And I can tell you, uh, my daughter is going through that right now where she's been in a position for two years. She's kind of maxed out where she can be and we're trying to help her look for other employment, but she's trying to align her existing skill set with other jobs. And I said, well, if you do that, you're going to end up right back in the job you have now. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, when I look at these other jobs, yes, I don't have those skills. Maybe I can learn them. And I said, yeah, that's, that's, they will teach you to do that. But then she brought up the wanting, you know, I think she called it imposter syndrome, which was just bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, th- that there's very that common. thinking. Very, very common. Yeah. Well, to, to your point, I have heard that similar situation where men will look at a job description and the, and the requirements. And even though they don't have those particular skill sets or, or some of them, they'll apply anyways, where women will look at it and go, oh, gosh, I don't have all of this, this whole list of items. Yeah. And they won't even apply. So it's yes, it's it's very common. And I don't know if it's a. Uh, just a a society situation, um, and this is you know let me let me let me premise this with, um, you know, this isn't a, a blanket statement for all women or for all men. You know, there's sure. there's there's women who who are, you know, don't know this and are confident like, hey, you know what, let's just go for it. I'm going to learn this and and don't have this concern. And then there are some men who are like, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't even want to talk about it. So again, I don't want to you know throw it out there that this is not a, you know, every woman, every man, that's obviously not. Of not course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to your, to your daughter's, um, you know, situation that is very common. I've heard that so many mm. times where it's like, okay, if I even have a few of these, I don't have them all. So I'm not going to even apply. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. Such an interesting, <laughs> interesting psychology differences. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I wanted to ask you, how do I phrase this? How are you able to better help people as a financial coach versus a financial planner? A financial advisor? Um, as an advisor, I um, wore the hat of, of advising on how to invest the funds. Our firm looked at tax strategies. We looked at you know tax planning with the CPA involved. We uh, you know had portfolios and, and models that we invested in and whatnot, and did a lot of the rebalancing and did a lot of the, the mechanics of, of the money. Um, there wasn't really the the education piece that I, I wanted. So as a coach. There's a couple things at play here. One, you know, a, a coach and the definition of a coach um, is about working today, moving forward. Okay, so we take our current situation and we help you to get from point A to point B and and pr progress to where you want to be. Um, in a financial coach position, you are wearing the hat of financial educator, which is, you know, under you know helping you understand. Um, you know, the, the various funds, what do you do with your funds? What do you, you know, what, what, what is diversification? What, how, how, to, how to best, you know, put your money wherever you want to put it. Um, that's just from the investing side. So um, that the, the, the conversation of education really wasn't at play as a financial advisor. There, there was a little bit of that, but most people who come, um, well, no, I shouldn't say that because there are, you know, there were clients that, didn't have that necessarily comfort level and they just wanted the advisor to take care of everything. Um, but as a, as a financial coach, I'm more of an educator. Um, there's a lot of life coaching intertwined with that, which is the behavioral side of money, why we do what we do with money, the mindset of our money and, you know, how we're programmed and what we do. Uh, there's a lot of information on that in, in my program because the, that's one of the foundational pieces of, um, where we are today in life, whether it's financial or otherwise, it's what's going on, you know, in our subconscious mind that's that's playing. It's a, you know, broken tape, tape recorder that we've got to reprogram. Right. So you can get you can help people from a much broader approach as opposed from just the financial planning phase. You can handle them from again a broader a broader approach handling the, the emotional, the psychological, and everything else that goes into that. Aside from besides just the financial literacy part. Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. So next thing we're going to talk about, Patty, is um, you talk about how to improve your credit score. Um, and I guess that would be maybe maybe give us a little bit more on that. Is it like after divorce, after being widowed, or is it just, you know, improving your credit score in general? Um, and then you kind of give some steps um, that we can talk about. Well, yes. Yeah, so Knowing your credit and pulling credit should happen whether you're married or divorced or whatever. That's that's something that you should have a handle on all the time. And even young adults in their 20s should pull their credit and, and know what their scores are. You can go to annualcreditreport.com once a year, have that pulled for free. Uh, it does not ding your, your credit. It doesn't have any impact on your score. It does not give you your credit score. Um, there's three scores. If you want your credit scores, they will charge you a small fee to get your scores. Mm. But it is good to do it, especially after divorce, to make sure that everything on the credit report is accurate. Make sure there's no um, misreported items that whatever was joint credit is now separate you know, credit. You don't want to have any more de uh, debt together. Um, side note on that, uh, when you have credit cards that were joint, um, unfortunately you have to close those accounts out 
And in doing so, you lose the credit history, which mm. is not great because 15% of your credit score is credit history. So if you had a joint credit card for 20 years together, that now that's all gone. Um, I even called a couple of credit card companies just to confirm this. And they and, and I did hear you know from them like, yeah, you've got to close the card to have the new card open. I'm like, can't they just transfer the history over? And they're like, no, it's got to be, it's got to be, you know, closed. And you don't want to have any joint credit card debt. I mean, that can just open up a can of worms down the road, even if it's a very friendly, you know, situation. I just, yeah. I, don't, I think there's a, a danger with that. We have some clients that for a variety of reasons are unable to, you know, transfer, open up a new card and then, you know, absorb some of that debt onto a separate card. In fact, just today I put together a settlement agreement where, the agreement is, and you know, they're amicable now, hopefully, and in, in into the future. But there was two debts that they are going to put monies into a joint account for the foreseeable future until these debts that were pretty high uh, are paid in full. Which we're talking probably, I would imagine, based on the, the balance and how much they're contributing to the payment, probably up to ten years. Oh, and wow. I think, while, and I'm sure you would agree, while it's ideal to have a completely a complete financial split and no more real connection. And I'm sure even from an emotional standpoint, not having that financial connection, just maybe be divorced, move on. I have to think about it as opposed to every month putting money into a joint account and then having to pay on a joint debt. You kind of have that connection. You're just really still not um, to totally you know, separate in that way. Plus there's that, that issue of potential, maybe someone loses a job or no longer can pay that um, you know, down the road. Yeah, that does get a little bit murky. Um, I, I don't I don't love that idea, yeah. Um, yeah. especially when there's down the road, you know, potential remarriage and you've got, you know, now another person in the mix, if you will. Um, you know, in a perfect world. Why are world, you sending that money? Yeah. Why are you sending that yeah. money to that account? <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, I mean, even if you discuss it openly and you say, you know, hey, I've got this obligation, we've agreed upon this and this is going to go here. You know, at some point, the new spouse might go, gosh, we can use that money here or there. And it just, I don't know, it, it just feels like it, it can it can backfire. Um, but if that's all they have, to, I mean, it's all, if that's all their choices are and they can't do anything else, then, you know, I guess that's that's what they have to do for now. But I would look at every alternative to see if they can get a, you know, type of new credit card and have that balance transferred. Um, and if they have decent credit scores, there's really no reason why they couldn't get that that transfer, that balance transfer done. In um, the alternative, and correct me if I'm wrong, if they have, I think like my wife and I, I might have a card that's just in my name and she may just be a authorized user. In those cases, I think we could just cancel that authorization. I think our kids even have some cards. They're, they're not, their credit wasn't pulled. I don't believe they're a borrower on it, but they have an authorized uh, they're authorized user. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you should be able to just remove the authorized user and keep that credit open as long yeah. as it's not part of that credit card per, per se. Um, right. Yeah, and then and then she would lose that credit history on her side because part of why you have her as an authorized user, especially when you a lot of parents add their kids as authorized users, is to help their kids build credit. Um, oh, I didn't so, know that's, that adds to that. Yeah, so it helps the the kids kind of you know build credit, uh, but you've got to be mindful that you know what the kid spends you know, you, you're responsible for. So you've got to have some arrangement up front. Sure. You know, that, that, that is, you just reminded me, I remember we had a, we had, we had moved a bunch of uh, money over to one credit card, like with a zero balance a couple of years ago, just to take advantage of that. We kind of had mm -hmm. a bunch of little cards. We moved into one 
for like a, a bounce transfer. And uh, we had our daughter to it. And she calls us one day and says, hey, my um, my credit dropped by whatever. And uh, I called the company and they said, whoever she spoke to, and they said, oh, well, you're on this card that has, you know, 50% use or something that was thrown. She says, oh, remove me off of that. You're ruining my credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your utilization ratio. If it, if it goes above 30%, your scores start to drop. So You know, I just uh, realized, you know, we're talking about improve your credit, but there's this is a whole, um, there's a whole lot we could talk about. Uh, that goes into that just just on the credit card issue and like you said utilization and closing cards and you know one thing you know I think our clients are not aware of is when you know they have an agreement say they're going to maintain a card together and pay it off like I was referencing earlier that even if we say so in, in some cases let's say they they say they're going to contribute to the debt and pay it that's one thing but where maybe a card is in both their names and in the in the settlement agreement we say um, you know, petitioner or, you know, wife or, or husband's going to keep all that debt, even though it's in both their names. One thing I have to explain is like, like on a title of a home or on, on the loan on a home, keep in mind that you may have a settlement agreement that says you uh, are responsible for this debt. That only applies as far as family court you know, orders. It doesn't, you can't send that court order to the credit card company and say, I'm off the hook if it defaults because you signed an agreement to pay them back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I cut, you cut out for a minute there, but um, yeah, so to, to your point, when I was doing mortgages, if the husband and wife were on the um, the loan, and in the agreement, they said, you know what, the, the wife's going to stay in the house and she's responsible for the mortgage payment, but the, they don't want to refinance it because the rate was really low. So he's going to stay on the loan. If he wants to go buy a new house, that loan is still on his credit. So she has to prove, uh, he has to prove, they have to prove that she's making those payments. So we needed like, you know, back in the day when I was there, I'm not sure what the guidelines are now, but we needed to have like a um, one year's worth of canceled checks showing that the, the money was coming out of her account and that she was responsible for it um, to take it, you know, take that debt off of his, you know, debt, um, even though he's technically on that, on that mm -hmm. loan. So, so there are ways around that if, if people get stuck with that. Yeah. We've had people say, we're, you know, um, husband or wife will have one, two, five years, whatever the case is to get in a financial position, to be able to refinance the house and remove, you know, the spouse off the tie, off the mortgage by through a refinance. And where if that doesn't happen or it's not possible, or even during that time, they're going to run into that problem where it's still going to be reflective on the report. on their credit Right. Report. Right. Yeah. And like I said, if he wants to go buy a house, assuming she's the one that stays and he wants to go buy a new house, he's got to qualify for both payments or show that she's making those payments. And that's where it gets it gets a little bit tricky. And that gets a little bit trickier when it's a recent divorce because there isn't the history of, sure. of her of her paying. Right, now it makes yeah. sense. So one thing I thought was interesting and you had pull your credit, discover how to improve it. We talked about that a little bit and maybe we can talk about that even more in future shows, maybe just even a, a single episode all on about that. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing you commented, the, one of the last thing you, you advise is to freeze your credit. How do you go about doing that? And why would you do that? Yeah, great question. So freezing your credit, people think that if I freeze my credit, then I can't use my credit cards anymore. And that's not true. So freezing your credit basically um, helps 
uh, or helps prevent people from opening up new credit in your name. So it, it isn't a end all be all to identity theft issues, but it kind of helps curb that potential issue. So in order to, to freeze your credit, you would simply go to each credit bureau. So you've got TransUnion, Equifax, and um, Experian. Equifax at TransUnion, and uh, you go online. Is it on the homepage? It says freeze your credit. It's super user friendly. You just basically you freeze it. You can freeze it for a different time, uh, or you, you can freeze it for one week. You can freeze it for whatever you want, and then um, they give you a PIN number. And I encourage you to print that out and keep it somewhere super safe, because the only way to unfreeze your credit is to have that PIN number and put that in. Otherwise, you've got to go through all kinds of hoops with them to unfreeze the credit. Hmm. And you have to unfreeze your credit if you're going to like apply for a home or you want to buy a car and they need to pull your credit or you're opening up a new credit card. They, everyone's gonna wanna pull your credit um, and they can't if your credit's frozen. So um, I have my credit frozen and um, I, I did a refinance a couple of years ago and totally forgot to unfreeze it. And they called me, I'm like, oh, sorry, I'll unfreeze it. Let me jump in and I did it. And they were able to you know, run my credit. Um, but it does, it, yeah, it basically helps eliminate someone opening up credit cards in your name. Um, it's super easy to do. It's just an extra precautionary method and your existing open cards, you can use openly and freely like you, like you do now. It doesn't like freeze your ability to use your credit. How does that, uh, how is that, uh, as opposed to some of these fraud protection companies that are out there, is this, is, does that make that unnecessary? No, uh, you still, I mean, that's, that's really more identity theft, like the life flocks or whatever those are called. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that, yeah, those are, that's, it's a complimentary service. This really is just, you know, stopping somebody from opening up new credit doesn't prevent identity theft. I see. So the other stuff is really focused more on identity theft and it's a little bit deeper protection. Um, you know, if you're a AAA member, there is a level at AAA you can do for free where they monitor your credit for you. Um, oh. And then there's a, another layer that if you pay, I'm not sure what it is a month, but they will um, do a deeper dive in terms of your identity, you know, protection. Um, my my uh, my Discover card every month will tell me, um, you know, no no inquiries. You know, not, there's nothing unusual happening on your on your cards. Everything is good, and that's free. That's as part of me having a you okay. know a Discover card. So there's other ways that you can manage and watch your 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 credit, but those other services are really kind of a step above, and they do some deeper dives into really identity theft. And unfortunately, it's a it's a big thing right now, identity theft. Yeah, I, uh, how do you feel about? I guess it's it's too late after the fact. Um, I have an app, I forget what the service is called, where you can check your credit. It doesn't give you your credit score, but it'll say, hey, your score is going up, it's going down. Um, it, it can, it's, I think it's free, but you also have some paid versions as well. But I guess once you see something on there, that, and that's what's happened to me. I've seen something on there. I'm like, what, what is that? And I'll, It's some weird name. And I'll try and Google it to figure out what it is. And usually it's related to when you, some type of credit pool that may be for a home or a credit card, just not matching the company that you, you know, that you applied through, because maybe they went through a third party uh, mm. service to do that. Yeah, that, that does happen. Um, as long as you're mindful of, you know, oh, yes, I did recently open up a new card, or I did recently have my, my credit, you know, pulled. Yeah. Um, if, if the dates and times line up, then you're most likely fine with it. But it is good to yeah. keep your eye on it for sure. 
Um, and that's why I said, you know, pulling your credit report once a year too is just that gives you the breakdown of everything, yeah. Um, yeah. your balances and the whole nine yards. And a lot of times I'll add this. Um, uh, there was there were many times where there were items of collection on a report that the the individual had no idea was on there. They had no clue that there was, and it's usually medical, like medical bills came in the mail. Yeah. You figure, oh, the insurance company paid it and they didn't pay it or they never mm. saw it or whatever. And then you don't pay your medical bills and guess what? It goes to collection and suddenly your, you know, your scores go in the toilet. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And so you've got to be on your game with that. You don't want to be dealing with trying to fix all that and unwinding all that when you're trying to buy a house, right? Mm. That's like the last thing you want to be dealing with. Clearing all that up. Yeah. Yeah. And you won't have time necessarily to, to do all that, you know, while you're an escrow, that just won't happen. For sure. Makes sense. Well, Patty, we talked about the three core elements to achieve financial peace of mind, commitment, clarity, confidence, how to improve your credit score pulling your credit, discover how to improve it and freeze your credit to protect it. Anything else we want to discuss before we end off here? No, just like the comment that you made earlier about the, the credit. Uh, that's a very big subject. Um, it's it's a lot to unpack. There's yeah. a lot of pieces to that. And uh, yeah, one of my modules in my program unpacks that entirely. And oh. um, yeah, it's all about you know, understanding the credits. And unfortunately, there's a lot of things online, you know, a lot of myths out there like, oh, you should do this to get your score up or don't do this. And, um, you know, there's a lot of bad information out there. So it's important yeah. to, to do the right things to keep, you know, on your on your game. And if you have a good score, um, it can save you tens of thousands of dollars over time by having better interest rates on whether it be a house, a car, credit cards. And if you Makes have sense. a bad credit score, it can cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So you really should be on your game when it comes to that. Yeah. Hey, Pay, how can people get a hold of you if they want to uh, learn more about your coaching program? So my website is just pattyhandy.com. So patty with the I, handy with the Y, P-A-T-T-I-H-A-N-D-Y.com. The, uh, you can click on the Minding Her Money link, and that will take you to the roadmap that I cover in the program. And then they can book a call with me and I have a conversation with them and kind of see where they're at and see if, if it's a good fit. Um, and they can see an overview of what we cover within the program and what that looks like. Sounds good. And we'll be digging into other um, areas of your coaching and different uh, things that relate to divorce and single and widowed women related to finances and everything in between. Um, so it's good talking to you today and we'll be doing this again every week, hopefully, and, and tackling all of these issues so we can hopefully get the right information to the people that need it. Sounds great. Thanks, Tim. All right, Patty. We'll talk to you soon.